Well, hey, good morning. We're so glad that you are here. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us, whether you're in the room right here or whether you're watching online. Man, we are excited for what God has been doing through this prayer series and excited for what's gonna happen today as well. So this is gonna date some of you, so I apologize in advance, but how many of you remember, actually remember in growing up watching Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show? Yes, don't be ashamed of that. That's a good thing. That was a good era. Some of you are like, who? Um, like me, my generation, we grew up hearing of Johnny Carson. Didn't actually be able to watch him, but grew up learning about him, knowing of him. Some of you still don't know who I'm talking about, so let me just say that's, that's the old Jimmy Fallon. What Jimmy Fallon is today for The Tonight Show, back in the 60s, 70s, um, 80s, even early 90s, uh, that's exactly what Johnny Carson was for The Tonight Show. And there's this real famous part of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson where Ed McMahon would do this long introduction and begin to say, you know, here's the guest stars for today and here's what's happening. And then he would say the famous line of, ladies and gentlemen, your host, and if you know it, say it with me, here's Johnny. Exactly. There's still some of you that have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh man, I feel like my role as a pastor today is to help you culturally understand who Johnny Carson was. Anyway, so you have that real famous line, everybody knows it. And uh, what's interesting is you know Johnny Carson, but there's another John you probably haven't heard of before, John Searing. John Searing loved Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, so much in fact that in 1980, John Searing wrote a, a handwritten letter before emails, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. He wrote a handwritten letter to Johnny Carson at The Tonight Show asking for one thing. John Searing wrote into The Tonight Show begging, could I please come on the show and do Ed's part? Could I just come on and do the here's Johnny part? That's all I want to do. Normal guy, John Searing, was begging with The Tonight Show, let me do just one. He sends the letter in. He gets a letter back from The Tonight Show saying, thanks, but no, here's a signed picture of Johnny Carson. Most of us would take a hint at that point and say, oh man, I gave it my best, I asked, they said no. Man, it's never gonna happen. Not John Searing. What John Searing did next was write another letter. Thank you so much for my rejection, but I really want to instill the, the hope, dreams, and the passion that I have to take Ed's place for one time to do the Here's Johnny part. And he got then a, another rejection letter. So he decided to write another letter and another letter to the point where The Tonight Show stopped sending him rejection letters. But all said and done, John Searing wrote over 800 letters to Johnny Carson at The Tonight Show asking for that one thing, asking for that one thing to do the Here's Johnny part. So in, ready for this? In 1986, June 26 of 1986, he got invited to go to California to be part of The Tonight Show. So he got brought on and Johnny Carson interviewed John Searing and had one question for John Searing. Johnny Carson looked at him and said, over 800 letters over the course of six years, why? And he didn't have a great answer. It was just, I just always wanted to. I thought it would be fantastic. This is a longtime dream of mine. So Johnny Carson looked across to him and said, well, now you get your chance. So Johnny Carson went behind stage and then John Searing was taken over to where Ed's mic was. He read through the entire introduction and then he himself, after six years and over 800 letters later, was able to say the famous phrase, ladies and gentlemen, your host of The Tonight Show, say it with me, here's Johnny. 
and just the crowd went nuts and everybody was clapping. Johnny Carson comes out from behind stage, meets John Searing, shakes his hand, and then says one more thing. Johnny Carson to John Searing, he says this, now go and write no more. <laughs> Said you're done. We got you on here, you did what you came to do, leave us alone. And you say all that for this one point, and I'm sure you've either heard the phrase or said the phrase, but it pays to be what? Persistent. Yes, it pays to be persistent. Even to the point of being obnoxious, it still pays to be persistent. And I wonder what would happen if we took that concept and, and added it to our prayer life. The persistence of prayer. In fact, we're given that permission. We're told to pray like that. Here's what Paul says to the early church of Ephesus. It says, pray in the spirit. Look at how he's encompassing as much as he possibly can. Pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. That kind of eliminates, well, nothing. I mean, it's everything, right? All times on every occasion. Look, stay alert and be, what's that word? Be Persistent, there it is. And be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's everything, everyone, all the time, every time. He says, be persistent. In other words, always pray, keep praying, and don't lose heart. That's the hard part, isn't it? Always pray. Well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray over all things. That's what scripture tells me. All things, all situations, all circumstances, all the time, I keep praying, but we all kind of hit that point, don't we? Patrick even just spoke to that, that point where, man, I don't think I can keep praying this because God doesn't seem to be listening. He doesn't seem to care. He's not there. So always pray, keep praying, but don't lose heart. And that's where we have to lean in. Always pray, keep praying, got it, but what about when I'm discouraged? What about when I'm disappointed? What about when I've been praying this prayer for so long and it doesn't look like anything's ever going to happen? We're told to always pray, to keep praying, and to never lose heart. To pray with that, what was the word again? To pray with persistence. Maybe to the point of even nagging God a little bit. To pray with persistence, and that's often where we see the power of prayer. Yes, there's power in prayer, but often that power that we experience comes through the persistence of our prayers. So that's what we wanna look at. If you have your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 11. We're gonna see Jesus lean in and explain what it looks like to pray with persistence. That whole teaching that Jesus is gonna give us actually comes out of a question from a disciple. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse one, here's the scene. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, that's talking about John the Baptist, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, they go to Jesus and say, we've seen you pray. We constantly watch you pray. We wanna know how to do that. So give us the insight. What words do you say? What words do you use? How, how are we supposed to do this whole talk to God Thing, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And if you keep reading, the next thing that Jesus does is he says, well, sure, of course. And he leads them through what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And it's not so much the words that Jesus gives them. It's more of the themes that he walks them through. 
And if you've not, not seen it this way before, I'd encourage you to go back, read through the Lord's Prayer. It's the next verse here. But you see the themes of the reverence of God and how holy God is. And then the dependence we have on God, the things we need from Him. Talks about the forgiveness, not just between us and God, but us and other people. And then the asking God to guide us and lead us. So He's really helping them understand the themes of prayer. Here's how you can communicate. Here's the themes of which you can communicate. But then he doesn't stop. We would think that's enough. The disciple says, teach us how to pray. He says, yeah, sure. Here's the Lord's prayer. Kind of pray in these categories and and use these themes to help you navigate your prayer life. That would have been good enough. But Jesus leans in and tells them a story, tells them a parable, fictional story that has a point to it. A short parable that I think surprised the disciples just how it would surprise us the first time that we read this as well. Here's what he says after he walks them through the Lord's Prayer, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, he leans in on how to pray. He says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at what time of the day? Say that. It is at midnight. That's important because without that word, it changes the entire context and the entire uh, feel, vibe, and meaning of this story. So you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, please let me help you understand exactly the scene here. And I love my neighbors. I love my neighborhood. We love where we live. We have a lot of great people around us, but I'm just letting y'all know that if you show up at my house, and what time was it again? Midnight. Midnight. You show up at my house. Brian! 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 I need some bread. Oh, man, I'm, just, I'm gonna come unglued. We're gonna have some problems. That, that love your neighbor thing is gonna hit pause for a moment as we deal with the situation in front of me. But that's what you have. You have a guy that comes over and says, I have a problem. And you got to think the guy on the inside is like, don't care, not my problem. You knocking on my door at what time? Midnight. That's a problem. He's asking for a loaf of bread, three loaves of bread, because yes, in that society, it was considered shameful to not have any food when somebody shows up at your house at midnight. I say suck it up and deal with it. That's just my opinion. Here's what happens. Here's this guy knocking on the door. I have nothing, I need some bread. Here's what Jesus says, verse seven. Here's how the man on the inside responds. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. I love that. The honesty of Jesus as he tells the story. They probably churched that up a little bit. I'm thinking you wake somebody up at midnight for a loaf of bread. There's probably a few other words in there, but we're gonna go with what it says here. Don't bother me. Look, the door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. In other words, go away. And at this point, there's a choice. The neighbor comes over and begins knocking. Hey, I need some bread. The guy on the inside says, no, go away. Don't bother me. And at this point, the man knocking has a choice to make, doesn't he? Does he say, oh man, I guess I won't get anything and leave? Or does he keep knocking? I know you're in there. I know you have some bread. I'm not going anywhere until you get out of bed. You all have those people in your life that do this, don't you? You have somebody in mind right now that says either they have done this to you or no, you know what? They would actually do that. Yeah, you've been there. Look at what Jesus says about that whole story, about that scene. 
Look, verse eight. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely, positively, without a doubt, he will get up and give you as much as you need. What time of day was it again? Midnight. Midnight. Wouldn't have been so bad if it was in the afternoon. Right? I said that changes everything, the fact that it was midnight. It is the most inappropriate and inopportune time to knock on somebody's door. 12 in the afternoon, no big deal. Even during dinner time, you're bothering me, but you know, at least I'm not asleep. Midnight, I'm asleep. My kids are asleep. You don't wake a sleeping baby or a sleeping husband. <laughs> There's things you don't do. He says, but I tell you, because of your shameless audacity, the door will be opened. That, that phrase, shameless audacity, literally means persistent, but it's more emphatic than just persistent. It is unembarrassed boldness. I love that. So bold, you don't care what anybody else thinks. So bold, you don't care what anybody else even sees you as. You don't care. There is no embarrassment. There's no shame. Shameless audacity. You'll do whatever it takes, and you will not stop. Always pray. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Now, I would agree. Midnight, knocking on somebody's door for three loaves of bread, that would maybe be classified as an inappropriate type of persistence. But Jesus is getting a point across. Because persistence can be on both sides of the spectrum, right? You can have some healthy persistence and some very unhealthy persistence. You can have appropriate persistence and very inappropriate persistence. It can be good or bad. For example, if you were dating and she broke up with you, men, and you decide, but Brian said it was good to be persistent. <laughs> and you take my words and scripture out of context and you continue to call her and call her and call her and show up on her door at midnight, knocking on her door. That's called not persistence, that's called being a stalker. <laughs> not okay, not okay. Some, some of you just had a light bulb moment. You're like, oh, okay, good to know. <laughs> Right? So it can be inappropriate. It can be unhealthy. It's that telemarketer that calls you every day right as you're sitting down for dinner. My goodness, they're persistent, but also obnoxious to no end. Right? It's that stubborn child that turns every discussion, every argument into a full-blown hostage negotiation in your house. Right? The, the negative, the inappropriate, the unhealthy persistence can come across as bully and awkward and intense and very selfish. But again, you can take the other side too. We would all agree that a good marriage requires a level of persistence, right? Being a parent, I wouldn't even say being a good parent, just being a parent in general requires persistence. Being a good athlete, a musician, a boss, an employee, a student, all require levels of persistence. That's what Jesus is getting at. He says, what would it look like if you didn't just pray this prayer, but what if you did it again and again and again and again and again to the point where, yes, always pray, keep praying, and don't lose heart. Now, I'm thinking through persistence in regards to our prayer life. There's a question that at least popped in my mind, maybe you're asking it yourself, of why, God? What's the point of being persistent? Because God, you are all-knowing. I believe that you are the God. So why can't you just answer my prayer the first time? And we can bypass all of this lovely knocking at midnight stuff. 
Why persist when you can just answer me when I want it the way that I want it? Now, I'm going to tell you something that I would even say to my kids is, I'm not going to, I don't have to tell you when, where, and why all the time, right? You know that whole because I said so? It works as a parent up until a point, but it works with God too. He says, well, because I said so. And I'm not going to be arrogant enough to look at each of you to say, well, here's why God isn't answering your prayer at this time and in this way and when you want it. I'm going to say, don't be so arrogant to guess that as well. You know, God is God. Isaiah says that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not always our thoughts. In other words, we're not God. We say it a lot. He's the king and I'm not. So who am I to second guess his plan and his timetable and how he desires to answer or not answer my prayers in the way that I would wish, the way that I would hope, and the way that I would see fit? But we can look at the purpose of persistence. We can see what persistent prayers actually do in our own lives because it does something. Regardless of the answer, persistence does something in us. And that's what I want us to look at as we take that story and we use that as a springboard into what does persistent prayers actually do in our lives. I think that will help us to do two things. We've said it a lot in this prayer, in this prayer series. We want to pray more, just the quantity of prayers, but also develop confidence in our prayers so that we can confidently begin to pray more. So here's what persistent prayers do for us. Again, regardless of the answers, here's what persistent prayers do for us. The first one, persistent prayers keep us praying again and again and again and again and again. In other words, it has us keep coming back to prayer. We looked at it last week where Jesus, the scripture said that Jesus often went alone to pray by himself. Keyword there is often. Same thing for us. How do we keep praying more and more and we keep coming back to pray again and again? Well, that's the, na- the very definition and nature of persistence. It's not just pray once and be done. I prayed for that last year, God. I don't feel the need to pray for it again. No, he says, no, keep coming back. Keep knocking for it. Keep asking for it. Keep coming back. Because when we pray with persistence, it causes us to keep coming back to God. Oh, isn't that what he wants? That we would keep coming back to him, that we would keep talking with him, that we would keep listening for him. Persistence pushes us to keep coming back to God. First Thessalonians says it a little differently and very much to the point. It says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That pray continually, let me help you understand some translations, you might have heard it said, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you are in a constant state of prayer and meditation all day, every day. That's not what it's talking about. Literally, the definition is to come back to. So pray and come back to prayer. Pray and come back to prayer. Pray and come back to prayer. You see in the pattern here. You keep coming back to prayer. You pray regularly and often and you don't stop. You always pray. You keep praying and you don't lose heart. That's why we want to help with that. Right? I told you that I'm going to help you understand what prayer is, what it isn't, how to grow in confidence with your prayers, but also promise to help remind you with those prayers. So if you've been with us this entire series, you know we've been pushing our text prompts each day. If not, you can opt in today. Here's what you need to do. Text pray today, one word. Siri will want to make it two words and autocorrect it. Make it one word, pray today, to this number, 678 678- 944-8690. Take a picture of it, write the number down. But every day, anywhere between nine and 10 in the morning, you'll get a prayer prompt, a prayer reminder where you just do that. Because often we just forget to pray, don't we? Well, I would be persistent if I could remember to be persistent. So we're gonna help with that as best as we can. So every morning you'll get that 
prompt, and it'll give you something specific. If you've opted in already this morning, you would have gotten one that said something about pray to God that he would give you rest today. Fitting, because it's on a Sunday, isn't it? So you allow God to remind you. That's just one way. You've got to keep coming back to prayer. Pray, come back to prayer. Pray, come back to prayer. We're hitting it over and over. Thus, persistence. You keep knocking. Always pray. Keep praying, but don't lose heart. Here's the second part. Persistent prayers keep us focused, specifically focused on God, more specifically focused on God who is in control and can actually do something about it. So often our persistent prayers, I wonder, do they need to be persistent? Do we need to be persistent in some of our prayers? Let me help, uh, help you understand in this way. Uh, we've got three kids. My youngest, Collins, our daughter, um, she's two, so she can do some things. There's a lot of things she still can't do. And so often she'll bring a cup to me and she'll look up at me and say, water. And I'm like, yes, you may have some water. And then she says, and it's amazing that two, my two-year-old can do this next part. She says, you do it. I don't know where that came from. I'm sure no one else's kids have ever done that before. And I look at her, I'm like, oh, Daddy teach moment, here we go, parent moment. I look at her and I said, sweetheart, you can take your cute little legs and walk on over to the refrigerator and get your own water. She looks back up at me and says, no, you do it. And I say, no, you do it. She says, no, you do it. I said, no, you do it. And then Becky steps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Both of you stop it. <laughs> but here's what tends to happen. We'll go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because I know she can do it. She just doesn't want to do it. So then I start doing the ignore thing. And I know it sounds bad to ignore your kids, but there's a point to it. So stay with me. Don't judge me. So she keeps saying, you do it, you do it, you do it. I said, so then I just begin to ignore her. You know what she will eventually do? Go get her own water. And I will watch out of the corner of my eye, still halfway ignoring her. And I watch her go get her water. And I'm like, yeah. Win for dad because I know she can do it. Just because she was persistent, I knew that she could do it. Now, if she comes to me with her shoes untied, she'll say, Dad, shoes. And I'm like, yes, you're wearing shoes. No, tie shoes. Now, I'm like, no, you're right. Like, you literally cannot tie your shoes. You're two, I'll tie your shoes for you because you can't tie your shoes. If I looked at her and says, no, you tie your shoes, she'd be like, uh, I can't. No, you do tie your shoes. I don't know what to do. And if I ignored her in that situation, would her shoes ever get tied? No. The prayers that you pray, the persistent prayers that you pray, do you really need God to answer them? So often, we just want God to fix things. And I think oftentimes the prayers that we say are persistent are really maybe lazy prayers, if I can say that, where God's like, you can do that. I'll give you the strength to do it. I'll put the right people around you to do it. I've given you opportunities. I've given you wisdom. It's just gonna take some work. You do it. So our persistent prayers need to be prayers that only God can do. Those persistent prayers need to be prayers that God has to show up in. If God doesn't show up, then it's never going to happen. Those are the prayers that keep us focused on him, that he is in control. Psalm 105, it says it like this. It says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. It's his strength because I can't do it on my own. I'm constantly seeking him, persistently seeking him in his face because without him, I can't. Are your persistent prayers prayers that only God can answer, that God has to show up, that you cannot do it without him? 
Here's another way to think of it. Here's a rhetorical question for you. If you don't need anything, if you didn't need anything else, like you're good, completely good, you don't need anything else in life, would you pray more or would you pray less? You'd probably pray less. The needs that we have keep us coming back to him. Persistent prayers keep us praying often. Persistent prayers keep us focused, focused on him, the provider for us. Persistent prayers also have the ability to change us before we ever get an answer from God. I'm not gonna say it always changes us. I am gonna say it has the potential. Those types of prayers, the persistent prayers, can change us before God ever even answers us. Because there's a space between the two, the space of beginning to pray for it and the, and the place of actually getting the answer to your prayer. You know what that space there is called? The in-between. And maybe you're in the in-between right now where you're praying for it, but it's not answered yet. And what's fascinating about this in-between is God does incredible things with you and your heart in the in-between. That's the journey. There's the lessons. And there's an M word that actually develops in the in-between. You know what it is? Maturity. The immature says, I don't know how to wait. Right? That, you don't have to teach your kids to be impatient, do you? It's just natural. You have to grow in patience. You have to grow in endurance. You have to develop those traits. And the in-between is where those are developed. It's where they're grown. It's where you are grown James Clear, he's done a lot of research on what I would call that in-between. My word's not his. I don't want to take him out of context. But here's what he says in regards to instant gratification and delayed gratification. He says this, success usually comes down to choosing the pain of discipline over the ease of distraction. Oh, I love that. The pain of discipline, that's the delayed gratification over the ease of distraction, whatever's in front of me whenever I want it, instant gratification. There's something in us that needs to be taught to de delay gratification, even if that's an answer that we keep asking for. Think about it in your life. What good continually comes out of instant gratification? I have a hard time thinking of a list. Oh, but when you learn to delay gratification, when you learn to be patient, when you learn that there's growth in waiting, oh, you start to see your heart begin to change. So persistent prayers, regardless of the answer, regardless of when the answer can change our hearts before we ever get an answer. Last thing persistent prayers do for us, they test our desires. They test our desires. Growing up, anytime my sister and I would go to my mom or my dad and says, I want this which could have been a hundred different things, right? We could have seen something in an ad. Back when Toy Store or uh, Toys R Us was like a real thing, we would ask for something there. And my dad had the same answer. He says, okay, you're gonna wait a week. Or depending on what the purchase was, you're gonna wait a month. And what would tend to happen is you can imagine the longer we had to wait, we probably what? forgot all about it, didn't we? So obviously it wasn't very important. So it was a lesson he was instilling in us early on of if you want something, great, but how important is it? That's the question. We have a lot of desires. The question is how important truly is it? Becky and I, we have what we now call the rule of two where between our schedules as she's taking kids around and in schools and everything with them and I'm in meetings and planning and all sorts of other things. I do work during the week. I just wanted to make sure that was really clear there. I'm very busy during the week. Some of you are like, you just work Sundays, right? Anyway, <laughs> so Becky will call me 
will call me. And if I can answer, I, I promise, right? God is my witness. I try to answer the first time if she calls me. But often there's, man, I'm meeting with somebody, there's something going on, and I have to hit the ignore button on my wife. And I know that sounds bad, but it comes from a good place. So then let's say she calls back a second time. And I'm like, oh, she called back again. And if I hit ignore, she calls back a third time. And I answer the third time, let's just say I really should have answered the second time, and that would have saved a lot of heartache. Thus, what we call the rule of two. If she calls back a second time, it's obviously important. If Becky just calls me the first time, then I'm just assuming it's just to tell me how great of a husband and father I am, that she loves me very much, that she just couldn't imagine life without me, and, and I appreciate that. And if I can answer, I would love to answer. But if I have to ignore it and she calls back a second time, like the house is on fire, the kids are in the ER, there's something actually wrong where she needs me to answer. Persistence shows a level of importance, and I would even say the level of persistence should be equal to the level of importance. Whatever is most important in your life, you should be praying persistently for those things. So let me ask you, what is worth praying once a day for? What in your life, what is so important that it would be worth praying once a day for? What's so important in your life that would be worth praying three times a day for? What about five times a day for? What's so important in your life that it would be worth praying once a day, every day over the next year for? What about once a day, every day for the next three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, the rest of your life? The level of importance should match the level of your persistency in praying for that. And if you're having a hard time figuring out what's important to you, Rick Warren said it like this, what worries you once a day, three times a day, five times a day, once every day throughout your entire life? What worries you is probably pointing to what's most important, but worry can't do anything about it. Prayer most certainly can. Turn your worries into prayers. Not just prayers, but persistent prayers. See, there's something about praying with persistence that changes us before we ever get an answer. Keeps us focused on God, keeps us coming back to God, gives our attention to God. What a great gift to give God, attention. We love that, don't we? We love when people give us their attention. God loves it when we come back to him through our persistent prayers and give him nothing but attention. It changes our hearts before we ever get an answer. It tests our desires and what's important. Here's how Jesus sums it up. After that parable he gave us, he said this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and knock and knock and knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. May your prayers have that shameless audacity where you go to God over and over and over and over and you don't stop. It's always pray. Keep praying. And don't lose heart. Let me give you some prayers to begin to pray right here and right now. We're gonna practice this. Practice what we preach. Here's the three prayers I want you to begin to pray as we close out. Jesus, I need you and I want you in my life. I can't do this without you. I can't do this life without you. So Jesus, if he is not already in your life, Romans 10 tells us that if we believe in our heart and we vocalize with our mouth, if we verbalize it, if we declare it, that he is Lord, then we'll be saved. You start there, step one. Jesus, I need you and I want you in my life. Second prayer this morning. Jesus, I won't stop praying for what? For who? 
What's that persistent prayer? What is so important that you're committing this morning? I'm gonna keep praying again and again and again for. Lastly, we have much to be thankful for. Praying with persistence is not about nagging God so we get what we want. It's giving him an opportunity to move in our lives. So let's thank him for what he's already done. Take a few moments, begin those persistent prayers. I need you in my life. Here's what I'm gonna be praying for and I won't quit. Jesus, here's what I'm thankful for. So that we always pray, we keep praying, but that we never lose heart.